Welcome. Um, it's good to see everybody. Uh, my name is Gil Cracky. I'm on the staff here, in fact, at the Advent. Um, work with Elizabeth, and in fact, was Cameron's. You're probably getting to know Cameron Cole a little bit. I was his predecessor in the uh, in the youth ministry slot. Um, it's been fun because uh, that was some years ago. I forget when Cameron started back in 2004 or five, probably. But to uh, to watch him really just kind of grow into that position and it's uh it's fun even to watch somebody uh, as your successor take the position places you never even dreamed so it's just been been great to see him do that but i'm glad y'all are here um i don't usually like to draw attention to it but i uh I, I probably won't be able to um i was assaulted this morning as i often am with um uh, some sort of sinus thing that's where i've been sort of laying in my office this morning just sneezing um it's been kind of so uh, I'm loaded up as best I can and all the decongestants that I can sort of reasonably or even unreasonably take. Um, so hopefully I'll, uh, I'll make it through without too much muttering and, and, uh, and coughing. Um, but I do beg your, your, uh, your forgiveness with that. Um, I'd like to start us with a prayer, if I could. Um, gracious and Emily Father, as always, um, thank you for this time. I pray for, uh, for this next hour or so that, that uh, this time would be yours, that you would would take it and hold it in your gracious hands um, and return it to you in a way that would be helpful. Um, uh, come and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I do hope this is a, a helpful time. I've got more material I know um, than, uh, than, I know, than, than I know we'll be able to get through. So what I'd like is a whole lot of interaction. If you want to interrupt me, please, by all means, do so. Um, I'm going to try to rush... To, uh, to get through, so we do have time formally at the end for, for questions and responses and that sort of stuff, but um, my style's best anyway when um, we sort of get off track, so um, interrupt me, um, make a comment, disagree, I hope, uh, if you'd like, um, any points along the way. Realized, and I think that's the thrust of this conference, this, this short conference in some ways, that it's not youth ministry driven. I was trying to think of what I could... Um, bring to a group like this, um, and I thought about sort of joking around as I was a youth minister for so many years and went to several youth uh, specialties conferences that we could come up with something like 32 ways to electrify your youth group now and get them to follow hard after Jesus or something like that, and, um, but it never was my forte. Um, this isn't really youth ministry driven. I'm coming out of um, sort of my past as a youth minister, my present as a, as a counselor, I'm also a licensed counselor, and so I, I it's funny, um, people who know me find this very surprising. I guess in some ways, as I look outside myself, I, I do too. The, the client that I, I wouldn't say I enjoy working with them the least, but ones that I'm not drawn to are teenagers. I really don't like working with teenagers in a clinical context. And it's very odd to me because I mean, I loved my years in youth ministry. Um, I do think I know why that is. It's usually because when a teenager comes to see me as a counselor, it's not good. Um, the parents are right behind there, and it gets really time-consuming and involved, and I do think that's most of it, but that's still part of the the, the, the milieu that I'm drawing from, um, is my uh, my past as youth minister, my present as a counselor, and, and all throughout, hopefully one who's um, trying to be a, uh, a faithful observer of, of things theological. Um, so we'll see how all that comes out. Um, this idea of, of the theology of the cross, which for those who would be familiar with that phrase, uh, is one that Martin Luther um, coined, he brought out in his Heidelberg Disputation in 1518. Uh, uh, I find it to be a tremendously helpful, I would say really the only 
way to to look at the uh, the scriptures and the experience of the life in this world, um, both outside of God and within God through our union with Christ. Um, this idea of the theology of the cross, as, as, as Luther would draw it out there in, in the disputation, as a, and then also in his um, sort of apology, which just means kind of his, um, his, uh, his commentary on his disputation. Uh, he said the cross alone is our only theology. And he, and he contrasted that with something, and I'm not going to go into a lot of this. This is not a lecture on Luther. Um, he contrasted it with something helpful, I think, a theology of glory, which isn't a very helpful phrase now. It doesn't mean much to us. Um, uh, so we have to sort of put some flesh on it. A theology of the cross, one which involves the the belief, sort of the a priority, the before the event um, uh, belief that God is most known fully on the cross. God is most known when things look bad. He, you might say uh, he's most known, he's most present when he seems most absent. You start using those kind of paradoxes. Um, I think it works wonderfully with youth ministry. I'm going to try to really build that in. I think it works wonderfully for all of life. That's the, the crux, pun intended, that means cross. The, that's the crux of my work as a counselor, is this idea, as people don't come to me as a therapist to manage their joys, <laughs> they don't come in and say, I've got so much glory in my life, I don't know what to do with it, I'm going nuts. Um, they come because they're hurting, they're in pain, they're alienated, they're displaced, they feel you know, constantly under accusation, judgment. Um, they're dying. Um, there's good news in that, just as we call the Friday of the cross good Friday. That's a, that's a theology of the cross idea. Contrasted with the theology of glory, um, which would uh, extol um, belief in oneself, follow your heart. Um, that we are the masters and commanders of our own ship, that we've got the, uh, the resources um, and the abilities uh, within us uh, to, uh, to go forward. Now, this is, a, this is sort of the pervasive religious idea, I think, in fact, a pan-religious idea. There's nothing particularly Christian about that. Um, it works well with, uh, with, with, with Buddhism, for instance, and traveling in karma. Um, uh, I think it's the religion of the natural heart. In other words, left to ourselves, we're all the theologians of glory, especially a 12-year-old boy. Um, so, probably not going to go too far into that, but I do want to sort of run that out there in case you're wondering where the hook is with this. So, one way in. I'm going to jump in. Um, and again, interrupt me at any point if you'd like. Uh, I heard a sermon here once, and I swear it was attributed to Augustine, and uh, it, it feels Augustinian to me, and I've looked um, for the last probably 15 or 16 years, and I can't find it. can't find it attributed, can't find it in his, in his source, probably out of the city of God or something like that. Um, but, but the story went that Augustine um, boiled down life into three questions, and it, it helped me immediately then, and it's been a paradigm that I've followed. So when sort of the sophomoric, you know, sophomore in philosophy comes and, and, and thinks it's unknowable to, to, to know what the meaning of life is, I take great exception with that. It's like, no, that's not true. We, we know what the meaning of life is, and here it is. That's kind of a nice inter introduction, isn't it? Um, meaning of life is to settle three questions or at least to lean into, because they don't get settled. Three questions. Who am I? The identity question. Who is God? And what has God done? Hey, Alice. Um, what has God done, particularly in Christ? Um, now, within that, that's a way of approaching theology, because we look at who am I? Well, there's the whole 
question of creation. Um, how am I made in the Imago Dei? Um, there's the whole question of anthropology, of, of the doctrine of sin. Am I basically good or am I evil or someplace in between those two? I mean, all those different identity questions. Um, who is God? Well, there's theology proper. That just means a study of God himself. Um, but also all the other ways that we could we could approach that question. Who is God? Um, uh, who... Uh, who is he as creator? Who is he, um, is he? Is he more sort of present or is he more removed? Sort of the transcendent, imminent question. All these, these sort of big questions which sometimes get unknowable um, fall into that one. And then what has God done? Now there's, of course, the atonement, which is where I usually take it because what has he done? Well, he's done it most fully, whatever that cross event means. Uh, but it could also be the church. It's certainly a theology of the word, both the word made flesh, but then the words in the scriptures. You know, what, who is God? Um, and what has he done? And so it's all that. I'm not going to go there today. You know, and so I got to prepare for this, which I enjoyed, and started thinking in slightly different ways. That first way, you know, going to Luther uh, pretty heavily here again. And by the way, I like to mix things up, which is why I have this. We're going to look at a couple of movie clips and look at some art and look at some uh, uh, an X-Files episode. So it's not going to be just me droning on with all this. So, um, so we get some, some natural breaks, by the way. Have they been, uh, did Mary or, or, or Ray do that in there? So, I'm surprised. You rarely go anymore and not see a bunch of, uh, you know, at least a PowerPoint. But, so, anyway. So, here's your hook. You get a little bit of a, 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 a audio-visual break. Who am I? The identity question. Um, love this. That um, My heart's starting to get around this. That Les Miserables is coming out into a movie uh, at Christmas. And so, it's the great question. In, in Hugo's book, and so it's going to be sort of on the, the tongue of a lot of us here in the next several months. Use that in your youth ministries um, coming up, you know, the who am I question of Jean Valjean. Um, who am I? Now, this is, this is Alice Chernock, by the way. Um, one of my colleagues also work at Covenant Counseling here in town, and she's doing a workshop after this, and so say that is also a therapist. I mean, this is, this is the developmental task, and y'all know this, um, in, uh, for, for kids. They're trying to figure out who am I. Their identity is what you would say from a strictly developmental psychology point of view. They're trying to, to figure out, again, what happens if I stick my, um, my, uh, my metal spoon in a plug. Am I going to get shot? They're, they're, they're trying to figure out all this, except the stakes are a lot higher. Luther had a different way of answering that question, this who am I question. Um, striking insight into what makes a human, human. Um, it's not our ability to think. It's not Descartes, in other words, I think, therefore I am. It's not our ability to, to have a will um, that I have choice or volitionally um, uh, alive, and he certainly believed in all that. Um, he distinguished that between the things above and the things below, and we can go into that later if you want to. Um, it's not even love. Um, it's not this capacity that, that plankton don't have, but we do, that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, or that somehow we can love uh, uh, another human being. The thing that makes a human human, according to Luther, is faith. Faith alone. And a naked faith alone. Um, and that should begin to beg a lot of questions. Faith. Faith in what? A lot of us know a Reformation history from, from wherever it was, whether it's 8th grade, social studies or seminary or whatever else, and know that was one of the sort of phrases that came out of that. But even before we go there, it's sort of one of the five solas of the Reformation, because it's not really in that context that he's defining this. He's saying faith alone. In what way? In the, in the, as a way of describing the human heart. Um, 
the heart was never made for itself. And so it becomes dependent upon the words that are always clamoring around it. And I think this is definitely where Alice is going in her next um, in the next workshop, um, talking about the effects of media um, and advertising and all that on on our uh, on our teenagers. Um, the human heart, which was not made for itself, uh, always has to go, as it were, outside of itself um, and to cling to a word which is speaking to it. Now that gets to be really interesting. This idea that the human heart has ears. Um, Timothy George spoke last night, and this book was was mentioned. I cannot recommend his chapter. It's the first one in that book on, on Luther. He, he, he spends a good bit of time, time in his chapter on Luther talking about this, where Luther um, felt that the chief organ of a Christian is his ear. It's not our head. We don't, it's not how we think about Christ. Um, it's not our, our hands or our feet which take us to proclaim the good news or to let us to do good works and to feed the poor, etc. and so forth. It's our ears because it's through our ears that faith is received. That, 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 that those words out of, uh, out of Romans 9, Romans 9, 17, I think, faith cometh by hearing. Um, it's faith alone that defines a human being, because uh, this is precisely the battleground. This is where it's attributed to Calvin, I don't know if he actually said it or not, that our hearts are idol factories, um, as these words which are clamoring for the heart and the possession thereof uh, it's the heart then that pumps out these idols as it so readily attaches itself. It clings um, desperately to a word. If you can begin to hear, or you're beginning to to think, well, there's there's you know so and so in my youth group, and that's beginning to give me either some compassion or some understanding for where she's coming from or where he's coming from because they're just clinging. Their hearts are clinging to a word that's outside of it. Um, we are always hearing creatures, and our hearts are always clinging to one voice or another. Now, this is not to confuse this voice, which is in us, as God or our conscience um, or an angel or something else, because um, original sin, that thing which is uh, original to me, it's, it's, uh, uh, I was born with it, it's the infection that, that is, is transmitted by my mother's blood, as it were, um, uh, it's, it's, it's right there with me. So this voice that's always there, um, these words that are always there, um, are not always God. Um, in fact, most of the time, uh, they're not. That's the word of the preacher. Now, I know I'm throwing a ton at y'all, but um, this, is a, this is our work as youth ministers, is then to proclaim. going to get there in a little bit. Um, but the words around, which can come from the world, the flesh, the devil, the law, sin, and death, something which in some traditions is or often described as the six enemies of God, or it could be something much more common like Tuesdays with Maury or the uh, sort of the untouchable mantra which uh, is sort of unassailable. If somebody just says, I really, really believe, well, I can't go there then. I can't assault your sincerity because you put two reallys on it. And so I can't, I can't, you know, I can't argue with that. I'm sorry. So I was just saying. That's another thing you can't argue with. Oh, I'm just saying. So... so. These are the words around the human heart, um, and it's, uh, it's the battleground. One little clip I found not too long ago, I don't know if any of y'all see this, um, this Coffee with Jesus, somebody know these things? It's pretty funny, I mean, this is where y'all are. You know, it's got all these clips. Woman on the left, um, I sometimes wonder if when I'm thinking, when I'm hearing your voice, I'm really just uh, hearing what I want to hear, Jesus, and then Jesus with his cup of coffee. What is the last thing you thought you heard me say? 
It was, quote, Lisa, go to the spa. You've had a hard week and you deserve it. But now that I think about it, that wasn't you, was it? And then Jesus says, helps to think about, doesn't it? So these words, the heart wants to leap forward and then turn in a self-justifying way, turn them into something that they're not. Um, Here in a really sort of silly way, Lisa, is that right? Yeah, Lisa wants to justify, you know, go to the spa. You deserve a break today. You can do this and all that. Um, and justify it as if it was Christ. And this happens all the time. I'm going to get to, uh, to, to, all this is going to be interwoven and see how this comes out as a composite, I think, in a lot of our, um, a lot of our kids. Another way, in the X-Files clip that I'm going to show, this comes out. It was this great episode. Anybody else ever watched the X-Files? Good. All right. We've got at least one, so um, two. Good. Uh, I know it goes back a ways. It's hard to believe how old that show is now. Um, you almost want to see him take a shoe off and use it as a cell phone. It was cutting edge just because the FBI had cell phones back in its day. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. And there were, you know, shoe boxes and all that. It's kind of fun. Um, but there's this episode with the X-Files. Um, set this up shortly. Um, in a way that you really don't need to know the, the subplot of, of Mulder and Scully, etc. and so forth. Uh... It's about the paranormal, and uh, Jodie Foster um, doesn't appear in this episode, but her voice does, because she is the voice, um, it's an episode called Never Again, um, uh, uh, there's a, a man who's not a recurring character, he's just in this one episode, uh, gets a tattoo, and then the woman, Gillian Anderson, who's, who plays um, one of the FBI agents, Scully, um, is on a, on a trip without her, uh, sort of her, her partner, um, Fox Mulder, David Duchovny. And so she's kind of um, going through some of these meaning questions, the who am I stuff. I mean, that's kind of the subplot from, from one to another. For those who into the X-Files, you will remember this. Um, well, as it deals with the paranormal, this guy got a tattoo, and it's kind of a Betty Boop character, um, but uh, uh, some sort of weird ink or whatever else, almost a possession. Um, the tattoo comes to, uh, to talk to him, to have a voice. Um, uh, and it's this voice. It's this voice kind of like here where um, uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's him, but it's clearly him. And I think it's a great portrait because there was always this Christian sort of layer right beneath it um, of original sin. And, and the voice is even going to say, because it's a tattoo, it's like, well, go ahead and have fun with that, that floozy, but, uh, but I'm still here. Um, and I go all the way to the bone, baby. I go all the way to the bone. Um, and he's going to burn kind of queasy, turn away a little bit because he's going to burn his arm with a cigarette. Um, But I think it's illustrative of original sin and this voice, uh, not necessarily Jodie Foster in our heads, but but somebody um, is certainly in our kids' heads all the time that uh, it's so confusing. Where does it come from? And it ultimately leads this man to do awful, harmful things, as you could guess. So let's look at this just as an illustration and a little break, and uh, then we'll get there. It's about a minute and a half, so it's pretty short. Isn't it better this way, baby? Me and you alone. Women are so petty, jealous, controlling. That bitch today would have been just like all the others. Um, my, uh, my flight was canceled because of the storm, and I was just wondering if I could take you up on dinner. I think it's worth fighting a little. 
I can pick you up. Give me an hour. Go ahead. Treat yourself. This girl is a real doll. But beauty's only skin deep, baby. I go all the way to the bone. Original sin. A bone infection. All the way down. Um, I think it's a pretty well done little episode. Um wrap up this section, this who am I, um, take, take, trying to take a different look, um, the identity question, uh, help letting Martin Luther help us a little bit again. Um, who am I? I'm a human. What makes a human human? Well, among many other things um, that are near the outside, one of the central parts is our hearts cling to a word outside of itself. The battleground is set because the gospel is going to be proclaimed as a word. And it's going to be a word which remains outside of us always. It's an extrinsic, or what he called an alien righteousness. It's just never intrinsic or a part of us. And it remains that way um, from birth till death uh, for the regenerate and the unregenerate both. Um, uh, this word outside. How does that describe our kids? They're hanging on all this noise that's all around them. It's the identity question. It's so plainly known that anybody, there's no, there's no special Christian wisdom here. Um, uh, I mean, it's, been, it's been almost univocally acknowledged throughout that teenagers, in particular, um, are asking that question, who am I? And they're having to resolve that in, uh, in sometimes successful and sometimes awful ways. It's the, it's the question for them. Um, what seventh grader needs more law preached to him? Um, what seventh, the, the law is always near them. My sin is right there before me, as David would say in, um, in, uh, in Psalm 51. They swim in a culture of accusation, of, of, of judgment, of, of, uh, of scorekeeping, of, of balance, of, of some monster quest for fairness while at the same time despising it because it always leaves them feeling outside. Even the cool kids. Rarely is there actually this kid that's sort of pleased. Even the ones who are on top of the heap are still riddled with fear. Um, the word that's needed is the preached word. And that's our word. It's not, this isn't a sort of a church comment on, 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 on preaching on, a, say, a Sunday morning. Um, we're all preachers. We preach the gospel. And the gospel is not um, anything other than this word that Christ, to several places we could find this, and Timothy George certainly helped us last night, but, but say out of Romans 4.25, that Christ Jesus was delivered over for our sins and raised for our justification. Where am I in that sequence? Where are our kids? They're only in the, the phrase, our sins. Um, the only thing I contribute, as it were, to our salvation is my sinfulness. Um, the only thing I contribute to my salvation, not yours, is, uh, is my sinfulness. Otherwise, it's all up to him. And that's a word of relief to our kids. Um, I'm going to stop there. Any comments on, uh, on that part? This who am I question? Our hearts um, are dying for a word. They cling to it. They're made. They're not made for themselves, and so they have to be made for something else. 
Um, they have to. It's a definition of what a heart is. Um, the question is, what word will it be? Um, and it really divides pretty evenly, the word of law or the word of gospel. Um, uh, the culture of law is, uh, is omnipresent. The gospel is alien. Um, it has to come through a preacher. And that's our privilege. Any word, any comments or thoughts? Keep all that, and I'd let it sink a little bit longer, but I want to make sure we get to some of the other fun stuff. Well, that's the first question, who am I? second one is, who is God? Um, too large a question, obviously, to even begin to approach. I believe in all the attributes of God. Arthur Pink's great work, for instance, um, uh, on the attributes of God, that he's omnipresent, omniscient. Um, uh, what's the other omni? Uh, uh, what's that? Omnipotent. Um, that, that he's all that and so much more. Um, but to cut that down just a little bit more, uh, who is God? Also a question that we're all asking a lot. Um, I read this when I was on vacation. Give them grace. Um, dazzling your kids with the love of Jesus. Y'all probably seen this. Um, Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson. Um, she mentions, and I think this is indicative of, of a, uh, if not for your church in particular, at least church generally, and speaking from an American perspective, um, the American church these days. Um, this question, I'm paraphrasing the first part, this question, who is God, is illustrated, now I'm picking up her quote, is illustrated by a conversation I recently had with a young woman in her early 20s who had been raised in a Christian home and had attended church for most of her life. After assuring me there she was, that she was indeed saved, I asked her, what does it mean to be a Christian? So it's a little bit of this combination of who am I and who is God, and what has he done? Um, she replied, it means that you ask Jesus into your heart. Well, there's a youth group answer. Um, yes, all right, but what does that mean? Um, it means that you ask Jesus to forgive you. You know, another check, right answer. Um, okay, but what do you ask him to forgive you for? Bad things? I guess you ask him to forgive you for bad things, um, for the sins that you do. Like what? A deer in the headlights stared back at me. I thought I'd try a different tack. Why would Jesus forgive you? She fidgeted. Um, because you asked him? Okay, I thought, I'll try again. What do you think God wants you to know? She beamed. He wants me to know that I should love myself, and there's nothing I can't do if I think I can. I mean, watching the Olympics these days, and God bless them, and they're 14, and doing all this stuff. But, you know, we were wrapped up in it, too, these gymnasts, you know, and, uh, and fantastic. Feels like I'm, 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 I'm cracking on them, I'm not. Um, I didn't, I didn't have this kind of presence, <laughs> obviously, when I was 14, but, you know, it just shows that, you know, you work hard and you can do whatever you've set your mind to. I think that's what Gabby Douglas said. God bless her, you know, and she was getting cracked on for her hair. Why? Well, I have no idea. But, you know, but that's, that's not true. That's not true. And that's where I want to come alongside of her with this compassion and say, you did it. It was fantastic that you received this gift. But it's not because you set your mind to it. Um, well, let me say more about that at the end. Um, and what does God want from you, I asked. He wants me to do good stuff, like the deer reappeared. You know, be nice to others and don't hang around with bad people. And so I think that's indicative. Give me some feedback here. I think that's indicative of a lot of where um, not just our kids are, but where we are as a church. You know, you could, you can, you could talk about the superficiality of understanding, the depth of an experience or anything else. Uh, but it just barely scratches the surface and gets caught in just this circular argument that God wants me to ask him into my heart because he forgives me and that he wants me to be good 
so that, well, I really don't know. And it just kind of stops there. And that's kind of, that's kind of where, it, where, where it goes. Um, an interesting work by sociologist Christian Smith, and I only just recently learned about this, and some of y'all uh, others um, may have uh, a long time ago, um, did lots of work, research, um, polling uh, American teenagers. This was back in the uh, uh, like 2005, I think. Um, pulled a lot of them together and then and formed a composite of what their the substance of their faith um, and the substance of their God was. And he, he, he dubbed it moralistic therapeutic deism. And I kind of like doing this because I'm a therapist and so I get to crack on therapy. Um, and five tenets, a creedal points, if you will, of this composite of, um, uh, and this were, were pan denominations, mainline Protestants, conservative Protestants, non-denoms, um, uh, across the board. Five creedal points. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. I might quickly rush in, and probably their pets too. That's what most people believe. Um, uh, this is, you know, it's not Christian, um, but it takes an easy sort of Christian point of view when you just sort of twist it a little bit and say, Jesus died for my sins, and now he wants me to be good. Um, and there you have it. It's sort of a, an air-locked air and airtight um, place. And if you prefaced it by saying, I just really, really believe that, you know, my dog's going to heaven, um, or that uh, God is... Uh, wants me to feel happy about myself and be fulfilled, then, then what you're saying is, I don't accept your influence. Um, and it's, it's very locked. It's a tight wound. And it's hard. And what are you going to do about it? I don't know. But God bless you. Because this is y'all. Well, I do know. The gospel. Um, and you're going to proclaim it as preachers. We're going to have a radical dependence upon God. Um, and you're going to realize that you're free to preach that word because it's not up to you. I know exactly what we're going to do about this, this moral therapeutic deism. Um, we're going to accept them right where they are, and we're going to love them. And the word is going to create that which it speaks. Um, uh, that's what the word does. Um, comments or thoughts? Um, got a little bit more to say, but as this slide is up, any thoughts on this? Does this fit in y'all's experience, whether it's in kids in y'all's group or just kids that you are in, are you connected to, or that you observe more generally? See some nods. Any comments? What about the contrast uh, as, as believers <coughs> children or adults or young people? Uh, what I say as a contrast, the three Fs of my view fear, Faith and freedom. Mm -hmm. um, yes, putting light on those in, in light of being a believer. Mm -hmm. And and contrasting it with this. Yeah. Um, if I follow the question. It's a good one. Um, fear comes first to mind, as it was the first F. I think it. Uh, I think it betrays this idea of moral therapeutic deism that, that we want to believe this, that our hearts are latching onto this word, trying to make it true. And of course it's not. And so what's, a, what's one of the results? I'm scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. I'm so scared that, that what if, you know, I'm not in? What if, um, 
dot, 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 dot. Because there's fear. Because this doesn't offer security. It's just, I'm going to squeeze my eyes and make it happen. It's almost a genie-like religion, making God into a butler and an on-call therapist. You know, he's, he's sort of there to make me feel good. Um, and so what happens when you're not feeling so hot? Um, fear sets in. Um, and the other two were faith and freedom. freedom. Um, faith, I'll go back to what I said before, having faith in this, because that's what it is. Faith, if it, a good way to break down faith is, is not, it's not synonymous, but it's real close. Uh, with, with you or your kids, think, if, okay, if faith doesn't work, substitute the word trust. Most of us get that. Trust alone. Can you really trust this? Because when you're running up against, you know, your dad dying when you're 12, or um, a suicide of a friend, or just just getting a bottom locker next week instead of a top, you know, whatever it is, and that's a real thing to some kids. That was me when I was in seventh grade. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and it didn't happen. And I had nowhere to go with that failure, you know. Um, superficial is all get out, but. Here we are. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's superficial. And so they have faith in something which isn't true. The gospel is freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is. And that's exactly what the kids are clamoring for, because this is bondage. Um, and so the three Fs, thank you for setting it up. Um, uh, faith and fear. Fear, faith, and freedom. It's a fearful thing to believe, to trust in something that's not true. Uh, when life comes in and starts to knock it over, um, we, we, it's, it, our true identity is revealed that we, our hearts are made not for itself, but to have faith or trust in something else. That something else, the object of one's faith, really matters. Um, the gospel rushes in and immediately provides freedom. Absolutely unequivocable freedom. Um, What can we say then today? Um, uh, this, this question again, who is God? Um, let's remember um, this helpful distinction between general and special. Um, we don't have to. God came especially uh, as Christ. John, at the end of his prologue, um, no one has seen God, um, but God, uh, the only God who is at his Father's side, in other words, Christ, he has made him known. Without Christ, we don't know God. Without Christ on the cross, we don't know God. The cross alone is our theology, so we're back into that. Um, what does this look like? Um, this is Caravaggio. Um, the, uh, what is he, Baroque or something? I don't really know. Um, Caravaggio's Thomas. Um, you know, at the end of John 20, the, the height of, um, of, uh, of John's gospel, where Thomas proclaims, My Lord and my God. Um, uh, right before that, here's what we have: an arresting picture. I mean, in one of the Caravaggio, you know, this great realism, you know, great imagery of light and dark. Jesus is the one who's the least defined, except over here on the side where there's the light. But as his face is the one that's most obscure. This is obviously Thomas, um, as uh, as as, uh, as he said, unless very impudently, um, unless I. Uh, uh, touched the nail marks on his hands and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then Christ sort of did the Jedi thing and he moves through the locked door um, and he, he appears in the room. Everybody's kind of quiet. Jesus is absolutely in control in this picture, isn't he? I mean, look at this. I mean, there's, the, there's, a, there's a gentle strength is the way I, I see Jesus' hand right here. Um, he's a, 
look at the wrinkles. There's no sort of halo, which was really sort of big in that time, where all the the saints, this would be Thomas and probably John and Peter, but we're not really sure who. They don't look holy. I mean, they're busting at the seams, literally. I mean, you got, you know, rags and everything else. They're furrowed brows. They've not slept for three days. They, they, they're sweaty. They're grimy. They're st- I mean, you just, I feel this as I've sat with this picture. And Christ is right there. And there's no, there's no sort of, uh, to it. But Thomas couldn't, let, Thomas couldn't escape if he wanted to. I mean, Jesus is right in control. And he's, he's got Thomas's hand, and it's right there. And look at the fixedness of the eyes. What is all this? It's a picture of transformation. What is all this? It's a picture of who is God. What is all this? It's a picture of, of identity, of our hearts um, being made for something outside of itself and having a word made flesh, um, having a word pierced, um, and having my flesh inserted in that infleshed word. Uh, and being forever changed. I mean, Caravaggio just, just captures all of this, I think, in a marvelous way. Um, this is the gospel. Um, one way to think about the gospel, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of the little buttons or stickers or phrases that just say, God loves you. Um, again, that sort of moral therapeutic deism, I mean, it kind of fits. I can jump all over it. I've seen a few of them, they're actually there, and make this up. God loves you anyway. Man, that appendage makes the world of difference. And if there was a, a bracelet, Frank Limehouse talked about the WWJD, if we wanted to go in and make a million bucks in sort of the Christian market, let's get the bracelet, God loves you anyway, out there. Because the anyway takes everything into account. God loves you anyway, because, as Mary was saying, uh, even though you're a sophomore in high school and you're so plugged into your youth group, you're really not, because you're keeping yourself back, because because you had sex last year. And it's the deep, 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 deep secret shame that you're carrying. Get a bracelet on that girl. It says, God loves you anyway. And begin to put her finger in the enfleshed word side. Um, this picture of, um, of transformation. Um, it's as if uh, uh, Jesus is saying, put your hand here, Thomas. Put your hand here in this wound which is the fruit of the glorious and scandalous tree and allow me to take the guilt and the shame which you which was so near you as to be in your very breath and allow that to die with me as it died on the cross um, and that this wound is the uh, the living mark for and then take um, the life which I have now come back to um, and uh, and allow that to be your life. It's the transformation. It's the transformation of shame. We don't have time to illustrate that. There's this great... Oh, no, we don't have time. Um, great little sermon um, from uh, uh, some guy in the ninth century. Um, comments or thoughts? This, that's the... Who am... Oops, too soon. Um, who am I? Who is God? Rolling into who, what has God done and looking at Romans 12 and then we'll wrap up. Yeah.
So when you're speaking with a, a student and you're confronting this and you come to realize it's the parent's belief as well, how do you navigate or how have you navigated honoring the, the parents? Yeah, I don't know. Just take a hammer and just knock it over and it's no big deal. So, um, no, um, big deal. Big deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one way to look at it. Is is uh, the right view? Um, and it's, it's not. You can keep going. It's not just the three people, and it's the people that are around them. And you might even you might even be re, you might realize that who you're ministering to is your senior pastor, <laughs> who's um, who's preaching this stuff. Um, uh, but no, your your question, your good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I really want to envision how that plays out, say, over a coffee at Starbucks or something like that, and how do you do it? Probably over the course of time and very gently in, in the course of a relationship, um, laying it out. Uh, uh, if the kid's really that plugged in where they're letting you know that that this is their parents and they're starting to sort of you know, feel some heat because they're, they're seeing things differently than they do, you know, step out of that just for a minute and be encouraged that, man, you're really... Really getting somewhere. I mean, that's a, that's that's some really good ministry. Um, and taking the long view, that uh, you know, I don't have to do this. It's not up to me. Um, the Lord really is a part of this. There's the freedom. Um, I'm free to respond, um, and I'm not constrained to make sure I get everything in in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Um, uh, you've got some space. Um, so I'd say over the course of a relationship, you just stay connected. Realizing that some heat, there's going to be change. I mean, Thomas didn't walk away sort of the same person. Relationships get ruined when you're not the same person. And that's true. Um, so it's not easy. I'll add, you know, rare in my either observation or experience, not, not, it's not impossible, but rare. Does it, uh, does it happen where there's really sort of a venomous response on the parent's part, I would think? You come back if you have a, sort of a concrete example in mind, because it could be. Um, uh, I, mean, I could imagine you know, a parent that was just kind of comfortable, and maybe they're just sort of a Christmas and Easter parent, and suddenly the kid wants to go to a different church and get really plugged in. Um, the parent could get pretty, pretty angry. I, I could see that, but... Yeah, doesn't happen all the time. Second time, let me move. Um, what has God done? Um, lots of things, but among others, uh, two ways to think about the activity of God, how He breaks through, um, in particular with His Word. God makes us sinners. It's kind of weird. Um, God makes us sinners. And God makes us, and God justifies us. Um, God saves us. God um, uh, makes me righteous. How does He make me a sinner? Um, it's not. It's not. It's it's my sin, um, but my sin, which is original to me from 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 day you know of conception. Uh, he makes me a sinner through His Word. Through His Word is law. Um, uh, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans three twenty. Um, God makes me a sinner. And that's good news. That's one of the most important things to kind of hold up to our kids. Um, knowledge of the law 
is good. The, the law is good, right, and holy, as Paul said over and over and over again, again, staying in Romans. What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace means? By no means. The law is good, right, and holy. Christ himself said the law shall not be abolished. Um, not one jot or tittle shall pass away. And yet at the same time, the word is a witness to the fact that Christ is the end of the law. And the law ceases to have reign and dominion at death. Um, the law, anything that says you should, you ought, you must, is used as an imperative. Get up, run, stop, don't, eat, drink, read, pray, da 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 Law, it stops at death. Because what power does a dead man have? Zero. None. Get up, read, eat. Guy's being a jerk. He's not listening to me. He's just sitting there. The law has no power over a dead man. So that becomes the good news, that the law kills. And then strangely, the law brings an end to its subject. Um, because then the gospel quickens. Um, the gospel, as the Lord brings down, he also raises up. Um, do we not know that those of us who share with Christ in his crucifixion shall also, shall also share with him in his resurrection. And here's Thomas. Um, what does God do? What has he done? He makes us sinners through his word as law, and he makes us righteous through his word as gospel. Um, again, the role of the preacher is, uh, is to deliver the law rightly, um, and that's not needed nearly as much as the word is gospel, especially to kids. Um, they live in that culture of judgment and accusation. They need the, uh, they need the vivification. They need the, the, uh, the resurrection. Resurrect me, the title of this little, little talk. Um, we are made righteous through his word as gospel. Um, so where does this take us? Many places, but Romans 12, 1 and 2. We know these. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is, the good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, let me see where I want to head and make an exit here. Um, let's stay with the law comes to an end with dead people. Paul just goes through, as we, we, we sit with the letter of Romans, um, the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then he comes with this, Therefore I appeal to you, brothers. Um, this appeal. Well, it's a good stop. Who is he appealing to? Is he appealing to our, um, our wills? Um, no. Uh, he's already dismantled that um, earlier. Uh, and it's also there in the, uh, the two words of be transformed, but don't be conformed. Both of those are two opposite poles of passivities, um, to be conformed and transformed, we're again the object of something else that's acting on us. And so it's not the appeal to, to, to come on, come on, Gil, do this. Um, it's not an appeal, therefore, to that. It's not an appeal to love. Um, again, it's an appeal to a dead person. Therefore, um, I urge you, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as holy and living sacrifices, acceptable to God. What does this mean, appealing to dead people? Um, it's, accept, it's, it's appealing to that aspect of identity, again, that our hearts, even our dead hearts, cling 
to a word. But what's the only word that a dead heart hears? Lazarus, come out. Arise. Um, the dead heart um, hears the word of the gospel, for the law has no power over the dead heart. And this appeal is made, um, uh, and we're brought forth. Now, a robust understanding, before I just kind of leave it there, because we're going to ground this into concrete experience, um, that's full true. This appeal is made to a dead person. And the only word, the dead people, as we, in several places, Ephesians, Romans, Colossians, um, uh, describes us as dead people. You, were, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Full stop. Um, uh, the only word the dead heart hears is the word of the gospel, is the word of resurrection. Um, but we are at once um, two people. Um, we are at once justified and sinful, as, as uh, that, that, again, Luther and then, and then many others after that. And that was Augustine, and it's the Bible. Um, that we're at once two people, justified and sinful. And that's where the struggle, that's where this fear and trembling comes in out of Philippians. Um, uh, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as it is God who works in you according to will and to act, according to his good purpose. Um, this struggle, this appeal is not to do anything. And that's where it always fouls. Is I appeal to you, therefore, to do something now about your faith. Now that you know we've kind of riled you up and taken you to this great youth revival and event and all that stuff, and you, you came just as you are and, you know, to not, not anything but Christ alone we cling. Next week, come back to youth group and I'm going to burden you with all of this stuff and say, you know, so now do this. I appeal to you, therefore, don't disappoint God and, you know, be nice and wait until you're married and don't drink and yada, 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 yada. The struggle is not what to do. It's to believe. The struggle is faith. The struggle that the human heart has as it knows that it's been quickened by the gospel and has been brought back to life, yet the vestiges of the old Adam remain at once sinful um, and, and hanging on. The struggle is to trust. To trust what? To trust Christ. That his yes is yes and his no is a no. And that what he describes is truly true. And that, um, and that all things and all manner of things shall be well. Uh, because that's freedom. To go right back to the, to the last and the greatest F. Um, that's freedom. This trust that, um, that, that we are sealed in baptism. Um, and make no mistake, that's simply a word that we've been sealed unto death. That we've been plunged beneath the waters of the flood. And that I died. And so, as I died, death and the law and sin no longer have reign over me. Um, the struggle is not to do something. It's to trust someone. And that's Christ. Um, exhortations and this moral therapeutic deism or anything else um, come all over the place. There's, there's a couple of fun little church signs that I've picked out. This could be read two ways. I don't think it's this way. This could be a great example of the word as law. Look, 99% is not enough. Um, get over yourself because it, it ain't going to happen. Um, you're not going to make it. Um, uh, carry your Michael Phelps. You're not going to swim to the Olympics from Tampa. You're just not going to make it. Um, probably it's not offered in that way. It's probably offered in another way that, that uh, now that you say you believe, do you really believe or should you try it a little bit harder? Did you give everything you had or can you give me a little bit more? 99% is not enough. For this team to work, we've all got to give 100% of our commitment. 
Are you on board or are you not? Because I don't want anything sort of lukewarm in this room. I want you, this, this, I'm taking the people with me who are all the way in and want to follow hard. Um, I mean, that stuff just flows off the tongue so easily, doesn't it? And it gets numbers. It gets an emotional response. Parents are happy. I mean, it just comes. And it's all wrong. 100%. Um, uh, hardcore Christian. Never liked the appendages of, you know, well, I'm not a good Christian, but, or I'm not a true disciple. I mean, when, was, when is Peter described as being a good disciple? Um, there's never once is there any sort of adjective to believer or to disciple. Um, uh, there's no there's, the, the idea of living the gospel. It's oxymor. It does not appear in the word. Um, it's it's as oxymoronish as what C.S. Lewis described as a, a nonsense question. How many miles are there in the color yellow? <laughs> it works. It, <laughs> nouns and verbs and all adds up. But but it's not a it's not a sentence. It doesn't make any syntactical sense to live the gospel. Paul and and the other writers would have said that. Seven miles in the color yellow? I don't know. Um, you know, a lot? A little? I mean, it just it doesn't work. You don't live the gospel. There's no such thing as a hardcore Christian. Um, you're pregnant or you're not. Either he was delivered over for your sins and justified uh, and raised for your justification, or he wasn't. Um, uh, and then, um, one more. Um, God loves you. Some restrictions apply. Um, I don't know where they got this idea, but um, it was there, and so I pulled it out. Um, so what do we do with all this? Um, why did Christ die for this little talk? Um, because our kids, the kids that you have the privilege of being with, they're dead. And they know it. Most of them know it. Like I say, all of them do. Most of them know it. They, uh, they're so aware of, of doing the things they wish they didn't do and not doing the things they wish they did. That they're wretched wretched, wretched that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this death? They just, they, that part of Romans 7 connects 100% of the time with teenagers. They get that. That's like, this guy knows me. <laughs> um, our kids are dead. Um, we keep trying to heap law on them. By we, my blood is on all of our hands. Um, uh, they don't need that word. Um, they need they need gospel. They need the proclamation that comes from a preacher that um, God loves them anyway. That there is a place. They once were not a people, but now they are a people. They once were not loved, but now they are loved. Um, they are crying out, rescue me, resurrect me. Um, uh, the good news is, at death, the law and the sin and the flesh and the world and, and these voices... They, they, they have no more jurisdiction. It's a strange defense, but it's the right one. I'm sorry, law. Um, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I respect it. But, but you have me mistaken with somebody who's alive. Um, I'm a dead person, and you have no jurisdiction here. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing the word of the gospel, and I'm coming alive. I've got... Um, no, it's time to go. There's a clip from the Facing the Giants that I was going to show, but... Um, but I won't. I'll stop with that. Um, comments? Thoughts? have time just for one or two. Yeah. Uh, in Smith's uh, book, Soul Searching, mm-hmm. with uh, moralistic, it wasn't just Protestant or, or even Catholic or Orthodox. Uh, Buddhist, Jehovah's Witness yeah. also. And um, what's the take on 
what is it about our culture or the messages or that has created moralistic therapeutic deism as the religion period regardless of one's faith. Yeah, sort of pan-religion. Yeah, yeah. It ca- captures there. It says something about most most of the world religions. I don't have a great answer. I can certainly just prattle on. Um, and if you're familiar with that, I'd be interested. Is, is, it, is it primarily a... I know he's an American sociologist. He's a Catholic one from, from Notre Dame. Was he... Were all these American kids? Would he say this was true elsewhere? North American. Some Canadians and... Um, fits in a North American context, certainly, or most in North America. I don't know if it would fit in a lot of parts of, of Mexico. Um... I, I think just your observation is goes to the answer. Um, that's pretty cool. I think that's the cue. Um, uh, your question is the the right observation that it's not just descriptive of of Christianity. It's the culture um, and how quickly the human heart wants to latch onto something. It has to believe in something. It's not going to not believe in something. Bob Dylan's you got to serve somebody. It's getting louder, so it's really saying, shut up. Um, so why is it there? I don't know. The word I get back is uh, one of the places it isn't going on is in uh, parts of Islam because they've got it lined up enough to say, well, no, there's no waffling here. You know, If you don't believe this, then there's not enough. Or That's what Eastern Orthodoxy, sort of Greek and Roman Orthodoxy, or, uh, Russian Orthodoxy, they, they preserve that. It's like, no, I never asked for your opinion, <laughs> and that's, that's not right. Um, we're going to keep doing it the way we've always done it, and that's, that's, that's the way it's going to be. Um, I didn't, let's, let's wrap up. Thank you all very much. Lord, for this time, um, thank you. Um, I beg, Lord, that uh, you would remain its author, and going away from here, you would... Um, uh, Uh, continue your work done in your way and so it would not lack for anything. In Jesus' name, amen.